Let's just do one more. I know you'd hate it when I make you do loads of intros. Um, but I just like to have options, and I feel like <laughs> we can always do better. We've done 12 already this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. Susan. That's how good we are. All right. Welcome to the Paralympics GB podcast. I'm Susie Rogers. And I'm Marios Papaluizu. And that was your cue. Yeah, and you sorry. got it. You it got it eventually. Bit, it was a bit off that time. <laughs> We're getting better, though. <laughs> we are getting better. It's only episode two. Um, so this is a, a regular podcast uh, which will feature exclusive interviews with the country's top Paralympic stars as they prepare for Tokyo 2020. So yeah, as you said, this is episode two. Episode one was with Johnny Peacock. So if you haven't listened to that, then please do go and check Subscribe. it out. Subscribe. This week we're speaking to Will Bailey. Will is a para table tennis Paralympic champion. He won gold at Rio 2016 and silver at London 2012. Yeah, so Marius talked to him a little bit about his uh, his backstory, his journey, what took him uh, that took him from the beginning of getting into table tennis and then taking him all the way to winning in Rio 2016. So yeah, I guess enough from us. Yeah, let's hear from the man himself. Here's Will Bailey. So Will Bailey, welcome to the Paralympics GB podcast. Thanks. So for people who don't know, Will Bailey is a Paralympic gold medalist, and if you type in Will Bailey Rio into Google, the image that comes up is is one of the kind of overriding images of, of Rio 2016. It's you on the table with your arms spread. Uh, yeah. What what kind of inspired that celebration? Was it a heat of the moment kind of thing? Did you plan it? Did you know uh, that's what you were going to do? No, yeah, I didn't. No, I definitely didn't plan it. Um, but I did, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about what celebration I was going to do before, like a year before, just because you dream of those moments, don't you? So I was, I was always hoping I'd win a Paralympics. I lost in the final of Lon London 2012. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was just spare of the moment. I just thought, what can I do now? I just jumped on the table and then I just put my arms out because that was almost like saying, I've done it after all this, you know, after all the hard work and all the disappointments in my career uh, to lose in London 2012. And I, it was like, I've done it. That's, that's what I wanted to do. So, yeah. So when you were at uh, London 2012, had you had you thought about getting on the table and putting your arms out and was it kind of the realization of that dream four years later no it was i, I didn't i didn't know what i was going to do again in the celeb if i would have won that but i it was it was almost like a like a release you know by putting my arms out like a, like almost like a relief that i've done it you know rather than anything else and you got like was it like a yellow card that you get for doing that or yeah or some you got, kind of got a yellow card but at that point presumably you've won gold it doesn't have any impact, yeah no unless you get another yellow card that goes into a red card then you can lose a, a set so i would have had to play another set which wouldn't have been good yeah right so you really would have had to have yeah so i had to be good to after that yeah, yeah i had to yeah i had to make sure that i wasn't going to get another yellow card and um, so talk to me a little bit about how you how you first got started in, in para table tennis. Yeah, well, I was sort of always in sport. I'm from a really sporty fam family. Like my dad was like a local football manager and my brother was sort of qu quite good at all sports, really. And I was all, I was always like pushed into doing sports. And um, I got ill when I was seven years old. I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but um, I was sort of like always still encouraged to play sports. And I had my Hickman line in. And I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to play football or rugby, which I was really like always wanting to play at school. And my grandma bought me like a mini table tennis table I put in my garage because it was like I could do that without sort of, without being, having risk of it like being ripped out of me. So um, that's what I did. And I, I just got quite good at it. So I started beating my brother, who's like three years older than me. So I thought, oh, I need to carry on with this. So yeah, I just joined a club and then went from there. So did you play different sports before you got ill and then afterwards it was table tennis? Yeah, I still played loads of different sports after table tennis, but it was like the one that I sort of really like, I, I, it gave me a good feeling. It, ma it, made, 
it like mate, I I love playing table tennis and like it was one sport that I felt like it was quite a equal e- equal like it didn't matter that I couldn't move so much or I couldn't make as much power. Whereas in like football, obviously I, I needed I needed to cover a lot of ground and in other sports like tennis, I need to cover a lot of ground in table tennis. I could beat my brother at stuff like that, you know, just through skill. So that was quite a good thing. How long did you spend in the garage practicing? Was it in the garage? Uh, yeah, yeah, ages and ages. I just used to put it up, put um, like half the table up sometimes because obviously my brother was at school and stuff and everyone, like my mum was at home, but she wasn't that, you know, great. So I just played against myself like a lot of the time, especially when I had some, you know, all day to sort of practice. So I used to just play, do that. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was good. I, I loved the game and it gave me a lot of uh, confidence when I was sort of ill um, because, you know, being competitive and, and doing that sort of thing, I think makes you, it gives you like a self-esteem as well, which is important, obviously, when you're going through that sort of thing. I know I've got an older brother as well. And um, when it comes to playing him with things, I would do the same thing. I would just go and secretly practice for hours and yeah. hours and hours. And then suddenly you'd beat him and he'd be dead shocked. Did he beat you before? And then all of a sudden you were just like miles better than him. Yeah, yeah. He started beating me. Obviously he was beating me because he's older and his sort of coordination is better than me when I was like seven years old. And then uh, I started beating him after about a few months because I was just like always playing. He was, but we're so competitive. It's not even funny. Like it's just a joke, but it, it got, it was really good because like it's, it's actually helped me even in these sort of things playing, you know, playing elite sport because when you've got a brother who always wants to beat you at everything, you are determined to beat him. So I was just practicing, practicing, practicing just to beat my brother. So yeah, it's probably helped me actually. And so when did it go from being just a hobby to something that you kind of were taking super seriously and competing at a, at a high level? Um, when I when I went to Bristol Academy, I, I, was, at, I was at the Brit School for two years um, in London. And I was, I was sort of, everyone was talking about um, Beijing 2008 and everyone was talking about London. Obviously that was the massive like carrot London 2012. And I was like, wow, there's going to be a Paralympics in London. I was like, do you reckon, I, I was like talking to the players around me. I was like, do you reckon I could qualify? Like if I gave everything, do you think I could qualify for a Paralympics? And I wasn't sure. And because uh, I was never like the best player or I was never like even, I was like a sort of one of the sort of, one of the sort of lowest players in the squad, you know, coming through. And I was like, oh, I really want to qualify. So then I just left and I went to, I left the Brit school and I went to Bristol Academy, which is like a professional team. So I, I played there for two years and that's when I really started taking it seriously and tried to qualify for Beijing. Did that involve moving city? Yeah, I moved, yeah, moved, uh, moved from home basically for the first time. And that was hard because obviously I've always lived at home and then I was young as well, seven, quite young, 17 went to Bristol in the middle of nowhere and I was like there and that was it. And then I was there for two years. It was good. It was good learning experience for me as well. I mean, you say you weren't that young, but 17 still to, mm. to move to a whole new city to also commit to something that you mm. don't know where it's going to go in the future. You don't know if you're going to qualify. That, mm. What was that like? Was it, were there highs and lows? Yeah. Or massive highs and massive lows. M- pr- probably with sport, there's a lot of lows, you know, you have more lows than there is highs, you know, cause you get, you know, especially when you first start, you're losing so much. You're you're not playing well. It's hard training as well, and there's people that are much better than you as well. They've been playing for years, so it was definitely hard. But I had good people around me in Bristol, and one of my best friends, Joe, who was a Paralympian, came with me. Um, who he didn't actually qualify for a Paralympics, but he was like in the Paralympic team. So 
that was really good to have him with me and sort of we spurred each other on. Some drilling started. Yeah, yeah. Just for everyone listening, we're at the uh, <laughs> yeah. Fitness Institute of Sport yeah, yeah. drilling some holes in the back. Yeah, it's not, not ideal, is it? <laughs> not ideal. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll edit this bit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so where, where were you living in Bristol? Um, I was living at, in like um, this place called, uh, it was just like a, it was like a student road. I've forgotten what it's called now, but it was like, ri- it was really rough. I was there for like about three months and then me and Joe, we managed to get another house in like Palmer's Lees, which is where all the, all Bradley Stoke in Bristol. And it's where all the, bo- all, all the tables in this place were living in that house. So it was, it was much better after that. Did you have a table in the house? Uh, no, no, we probably, they would have gone mad, I think, most of the boys, if they, if they uh, but if, if if we had to play um, table tennis after t- after training, but I think it was a good, it was so fun there, you know, like, we were only playing for fun, really, it wasn't like professional sport, it was like, we weren't getting, you know, money or anything like that, we were just trying to be as good as we could, and it was good fun, you know. And what year was that? Uh, 2000 and... Uh, I'd say 2006, 2007. Okay, so... Around then, yeah. So really building up to to Beijing. Yeah, to Beijing. I didn't know it was going to be building up to Beijing because I was reclassified in 2007 to Class 7, so um, the chances were were almost non-existent to qualify for Beijing, but I got a wild card. But that was... I knew that really before... really just before Beijing 2008, so it was like... uh, I was just I was just using it as like to try and improve and to try and to try and be as good as I could be in class seven really for 2012 for London. So that was from a six to a seven. Yeah, yeah. Which for anyone who doesn't know is is the seven is a is a less impaired. Yeah. Is a less impaired group, so more difficult essentially. Yeah, yeah. So it was really hard because I was like when I was at Filton and when I first moved there I was a class six and I was like winning tournaments. I won the German Open. And I was like one. I was like probably the best in the world in that class. Like really good. And then I got reclassified and I moved right down to like a mid, you know, I was like 35 and I went to 35 in the world. Because you keep your ranking points, but it's like you move so far down because there's a lot of better players in the other class because it's less impairment, you know. So I I kind of struggled after that for a couple of years. But you still managed to make it to Beijing in the end. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get a wild card. Um, I felt I deserved it because obviously I got re- reclassified, so it was like impossible for me to qualify otherwise, but... So I, I qualified and managed to manage to sort of um, play that tournament, and it was great experience. It was massively important for me, like because if I would have just gone to London 2012 as my first games, I think I would have struggled. Such a big event, wasn't it? London 2012. So 2008 Beijing set me up because I was like, okay, I know what I know what to expect, you know. What was that feeling like when you learned that you'd made it to your first Paralympic Games? Oh, it's just amazing. I was crying and. Um, I, I remember I was at my ex-girlfriend's house and like my best friend Joe called me and he was like, have you seen the IPTC website, the Paralympic website? And he was like, your name's on it, it was a wild card. And I ran outside of the house and I just screamed and I dropped my phone and I remember, because this is how much I wanted it and I still do now, but like, you know, it's just raw passion. I was like crying and I remember calling my mum and dad and I was like crying. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to Beijing 2009. I can't believe it. It's like, it's like an ultimate dream, and I so and then uh, and then I was just like on it, and I was like, I want to try and win, win it. Obviously, I didn't, I didn't win it. I only won one match, but still, it's like it was just an amazing experience. And you mentioned your mom and dad there, the first people that you called, and obviously your brother pushing you mm. to get better, and your grandma buying you the mm. table. It sounds like your family have been really important part of your of your journey. Yeah, really important, and like uh, without. Without them and without their support, I, you know, I definitely wouldn't be where I am. It's a massive, 
massively important to me and they pushed me on and they still do you know my mom's always going on about my backhand i need to improve my backhand i need to improve things goraz she's always saying ringing up goraz going you're pushing him hard enough you may what's he doing in training so she's pro she's just as competitive as me so it's difficult you know that's why we we clash sometimes but uh no she's great good support good support and what was their reaction to you going to the games um i think they were just really proud obviously in Beijing 2008 I don't I think the Paralympics has grown so much since then and like it wasn't it was a massive deal it was huge for me it was obviously absolutely the biggest thing in my life that I could ever do um but for them you know it was it was the Paralympics and I, I think in Beijing 2008 there wasn't that much coverage I think they had to watch it on a on a computer or something like that my matches you know from live streaming so like it was strange in that way because you know now all my, most of my matches have been on Channel 4 and stuff like that so it's, or on TV so it's like it's like um, it's amazing how much it's changed in just a few years or, or they've been there you know they they were at Rio so and yeah it's just changed so much since then and going to Beijing how old were you when you, when you went? Uh, I was 19 still yeah. still really young yeah, to yeah. go to the other side of the world and compete against the best players in in the world what do you think that experience gave you? Um, oh, it's, it was such an important experience. I mean, I, I remember playing my first game and going out on onto the onto the like the 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 pitch, whatever the the, the match. And I remember um, like playing against a, chi a Chinese guy was playing next to me, and it was obviously in Beijing. And I just heard China, 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 and I remember my, the hairs on the back of my neck going up. And I remember thinking, Oh my God. This is bigger than I ever thought it was going to be. You know, it was like 10 times bigger than I ever thought. It's the Paralympics, and I, I I, thought it's going to be big. But then it was like, it knocked my socks off. You know, the atmosphere knocked my socks off. And I remember, like, I remember just getting this feeling, like, sweating and, like, nervousness. And then I started playing and started knocking up, practicing before my match. And I couldn't hear the ball on the table because of the noise in the, in the stadium. And I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, this is absolutely crazy. But I, I really like loved it, and I thought, and I, I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm gonna use this experience, and and I'm gonna try and like capitalize in London 2012, because it was like I, f I felt like you know there's nowhere to hide, you know, in, when you're playing, and I thought, well, I'm gonna have to train as hard as I can for London 2012 because like I know what it's like now to be put on this, put on this like, you know, in front of thousands of people. And you've got Noah tied, and you've just got you just got to play table tennis. And I wanted to make sure in London 2012 that I was as best prepared as I could be to make sure that you know I wouldn't disappoint myself or my family or anything like that. That was really important to me. So it was it was just brilliant, great experience, Beijing 2008. And obviously trying to produce some fantastic mm -hmm. players over the years. So it really was kind of a baptism of fire. Yeah, it was. I was chucked into the Lions Den. Yeah, and I played the team event against the Chinese. And I just got absolutely schooled. I just got, I just got absolutely ripped apart. And I remember, I remember thinking to myself that, oh my God, this is, you know, this is going to be hard, really hard. I mean, not just to be world class, but just to not embarrass myself when I go into like London 2012. That's what I was thinking at the time. I was like, how can I just be a little bit competitive with them, you know? But um, we managed to do it somehow. So it's been, it's been a great journey. But I mean, really to achieve what, what we've done and. I never thought it was possible at the start. I didn't really think it was possible, and it's been a, it's been like a dream so far. Just wanted to carry on. And I read that you went back to China for like a prolonged period after Beijing, just to just to get better. 
yeah, I went to China for a few months and lived there. I went on my own. I went with like a, I went with an address like after Beijing 2008. I was like, how come they're so good? I was like, I want to just go there and train for a bit, you know, to experience it. And obviously, a lot of the boys that I train with have been there on training camps, and they're like, it's really good. So I was, I, I got this, um, I got an address written in English, and I just, I, I bought a, 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 a sort of a flight ticket to China, to Beijing Airport. And I went there and I went to a taxi driver, gave him the address and they all started laughing at me. And they were like, you, you know, obviously it's not in Chinese. And they were like, just looking at me really funny. And then I went back into the, into the airport and I was like crying. And I was like, I'm never going to find this place. Yeah, after such a long flight, I called my dad. And I was like, dad, I'm never going to find this place. Where, like, I've just come here. How did you let, why did you let me come here to China? Like with this address written in English. And he was like, He's gonna have to find a way to translate to translate it and then find a way to get to the to get to the to you know the table tennis place so the center and eventually I found out it was four hours train journey uh, from Beijing. Can you imagine? I had to get on a train and it was a nightmare. So I had to get a bus from the airport to the train station, then a train all the way to Hebei Province, which is where I was tra- which was where the training center was. So. It was an experience, definitely, and I didn't speak to anyone in English for like, uh, well, I didn't communicate to anyone in like person like for like two months. So I was going, it was really difficult, you know, mentally, because like I was breaking down in sessions, obviously, because they they trained so hard. I was like, my feet were bleeding and stuff like that, and I was like, I was like lying on the floor after training because they just keep going, and then. Uh, and then I, I remember like crying or like or like just like saying I can't train anymore because they just don't stop. And then the guys were laughing. They don't understand. Uh, they just they've been training since four years old, six hours a day, seven hours a day, and they don't understand if someone can't do it. You know, if if there's a weakness, they don't really understand. And so I didn't really feel like there's a lot of uh, like sympathy. But I think, and I really hated it and resented it at the time. But now looking back, it's made me stronger and made me more determined. When I came back from there, I was like, oh, I want to train like that. And I want to be able to be able to you know, keep going, keep going, keep pushing myself. Was there a point when you were there where you kind of embraced it or the whole time were you just like, I need to go home? No, no, I, I did embrace it. I, I, really, I really enjoyed it sometimes. It probably would have helped if I'd have had like one other person who I could speak to in English, you know, just to say, oh, this is tough, isn't it? And they'd be like, yeah, it is. But because I was around such monsters, like they were just like so good and they were so like hard working and stuff. It was like I didn't see any chinks of weakness, which which affected me a little bit as well. So now, you know, you know what I mean? Like they didn't show any signs that they were struggling at all. Yeah. So I was like, what these guys are machines. And I guess you know? when uh, when you come back, you know what it takes to, to get to the top. Now. Yeah. So the, those moments where you think about slacking off yeah you just think about what they're doing and know that you can't yeah and they just yeah it just does they they set a great example for me and like i was so i was so young so that was really important for me to see that and and it was important for me to i spent all my money there and i i i spent a lot of time there and i spent like so i i i i sacrificed a lot you know in that time and that's made me certain the player i am because every time i go into the training i think how good we've got it here you know, to play in a hall like this and to have like the opportunities to be able to play, to be able to be funded. No, it's just a, it's just so lucky. Some of these players from China, they're not even, you know, funded players and they they have to live in this uh, sports hall and they're living in the sports hall, sleeping in the sports hall and they play for their province and that's their, that's their life. 
So it's like, uh, it's a different world, isn't it? So you have to appreciate what you've got, definitely. And, and when you came back, uh, obviously you spoke about Beijing and being there and just wanting to get that bit better for London so that mm. you put on a good show. Mm. When you came back, did you feel like you were a better player or did you feel at least confident enough that you knew what it, that when it came to London that you were going to be able to perform to the level that you wanted to? Yeah, I, I felt better definitely after being training in China and I felt like I was improving. I think I think mostly m the most important thing in, in, in our sport, in table tennis, is like mindset and being able to train and being able to push yourself and being able to like um, handle pressure because it's such a skill sport as well. So you, there's a lot of nerves as well in it. And I think as long as you've got those things and you you know you've got half a chance to make it. And I just remember keep telling myself stay in day out try and test yourself on those things and that's what i've tried to do and yeah i think beijing 2008 was a great learning curve and then london 2012 to lose in the final as well was great learning curve as well for me um i'd never thought that i was gonna i never thought before the tournament in london 2012 even though i was second seeded that i was going to go all the way to the final because it's such an unpredictable sport as well like it's one of those sports that you can just play someone who's just smacking the ball at you and he's not missing especially against me because um, like I'm, I'm probably one of the most consistent players, but people will think oh, I'm playing Will Bailey. I'm just going to go for it, and that's what happens against me now. You know, people just like go for it, and so that's dangerous. You, you talked about London being a great experience, but obviously coming second isn't maybe what you would have wanted mm. at the time. Was that a, was that a, a good performance? Were you disappointed? Were you just happy to to get on the podium? Mm. I think uh, I was. I, I mean, looking back at it, I am really happy with silver medal but um obviously i got to the final i should have i believe i was the better player in the final and i believe i probably was in the semi-final it was a 50 50 match in terms of ability um i i felt like i could have lost the game and i i won it comfortably in the semi-final so i played brilliant in the semis and then i played really bad in the final and it was so weird because i was so confident i was so not confident before the semi-final uh, I was thinking, oh, that's the hardest draw I could have gotten. Maxim Nikolenko of Ukraine, who's like the up-and-coming player, who's like really strong, beating me the last like four or five times, and it was a horrible draw to get him in the semis in my half. And then, and then I I thought when I won that match, I went. I remember going back to the village and stupid. All the boys were like, you know, what are you gonna do tomorrow when you win? Because you're playing Jochen Volmar, and uh, you know you don't lose to Jochen. You're beating him the last twelve times, and he's older to be fair and he's like you know he's not going to beat you he's got no chance and I was like yeah I oh, know you know I've got to be honest I was like yeah I know I'm going to absolutely smash him up and then um, it was such a weird game because I remember seeing him in the waiting area he's so calm and cool and collected he's like so happy that he's got to the final and he's already won it three times I think and I was like well, he can't beat I was thinking about come on he can't beat me really but and then I remember walking out with him. He just looked so calm. And then the first set he won. And I was like, this isn't how it's supposed to go. And then um, and then he won the match. And like he just showed like w what a player he is really to be able to beat me in my home country. Um, he, you know, he's a legend of the game. And I was so sh I was so shocked that he he won it. And I never I'll never write him off again if I played him. I'd be 100% focused and 100% determined that I could beat him. But yeah, he's probably the biggest legend of the whole. Paralympic table tennis, you know, in every single class. So stupid of me, really, to. But you learn, don't you? Yeah, like and like you say, mm. presumably that the experience of Beijing coming out of that a better player, 
going to China, then going through London and, and going through that disappointment, but at the same time, kind of a bittersweet disappointment mm. was all the foundations you needed to do what you did in, in Rio and become Paralympic champion. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, just to, just to learn from that, I learned a lot from, from actually Jochen as well, you know, play, waiting in the waiting area just before um, like the final. I used that in the final of, of Rio. I remember I was playing actually a Brazilian in the final of Rio. So and I was he was playing me in the final of London 2012, my home crowd, and he pl- he he like handled himself like Im- just impeccably, really like in the in the waiting area. You have to sit you have to sit with someone for an hour before the match uh, to check like what you're wearing, to check your your bat, to check everything, and um, like it's quite a difficult moment because you're so you're so close to someone who you just want to you just want to just be. You know, you're just about to go and play out for the biggest match of your life, and and um, he he sort of like handled himself really well, and he made me think that he was in total control of the situation. So then, in, in, I used that in in uh, Rio when I was playing Israel Stroff, the Brazilian in the final. I was like, I need to think about what Jochen did and how he made me feel in those moments, and uh, I tried to use that actually. To be fair, I think it might have worked. And I know you've got a dash soon, so I've only got two more for yeah. you. Whenever I interview athletes, I'm always uh, really curious how they stay calm under under such such amazing pressure. If I'm watching Wimbledon and someone's got match point, my palms get sweaty, and I yeah. just think about how much I would choke in that situation. Mm. When you've got match point and it's for a Paralympic gold medal, what's going through your head? Oh, it's uh, a lot goes through your head actually for that in that moment. It's hard it's hard not to let them get in your head. I I kind of don't try and blank things out. I was speaking to my psychologist and he was like these things will come into your mind you know these these thoughts will come into your mind and sort of welcome them and and then and then focus if you can reset yourself for the for what's actually needed to be done the next point and that's what i do yeah and you've become a father recently as well congratulations yeah. thanks has that affected the way you think about your career and think about sport and the way that you train um i think if anything it's made me more determined yeah to 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 win another paralympics i don't know i don't think i could get any more um sort of like I didn't think I could get any more determined but now because Bella's around I I really want her to come watch me and try and win it in Tokyo and she'll be three so that'd be amazing if I could do that amazing Will Bailey thank you so much mate cheers mate brilliant thanks Wow, so Bella hopefully will be watching her father competing in the finals in Tokyo 2020 then. Yeah, I'm not sure I can remember much from when I was three, but I think if my dad was in the final of the Paralympics, I'd, I'd probably I think it would be super it. exciting. So, you yeah. know, let's let's hope he gets there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listening to, listening to Will's journey, I mean, the one thing that stood out to me the most was uh, the kind of sacrifices that he's had to, to make, uh, which he sort of took very much in his stride, certainly when he talks about it, but, you know, moving away from home at 17 it's very young uh you know having a big life change like that and then also you know after london 2012 going and you know studying the masters in table tennis in china and and living there in a country where he didn't speak their language i mean you know quite a lot of bold moves from will yeah like you say he he seems to take it in his stride but for anyone that moving away from home at 17 to a whole new city in, in order to become the best at something is, is a huge, huge step. And I think it's, like you say, a thread throughout his career that he's identified what he needs to do to, do to become the best and then gone and done it. And yeah, like you say, always taking it in his stride. Mm, I mean, I think there's, you know, many, many athletes do talk about the sacrifices that they 
that they have to go through and the difficulties. I mean, he talks very eloquently about, you know, the, the lows being kind of far outweighing the highs in sport. And, you know, I can certainly agree with that as a, as a former athlete. You know, there are a lot of moments that people don't see. You know, you, you see that winning moment, that podium moment or you know, someone on, the, on winning a medal, but you don't actually often know the backstory. And it was it was interesting that he sort of talked about that and elaborated on that. Well, I can only imagine what it's like to, to be in a, a another country training X amount of hours every day, not being able to communicate with anyone it must be just an incredible experience in terms of character building, but just really, really difficult. Mm. And when you hear him talk about it, he, he almost brushes over it. Oh, like, oh, I couldn't really speak to anyone. But if you kind of imagine and that, kind of isolation mm. as well as the physical turmoil that it must have, have taken yeah it, it really is an incredible story and, and he learned a lot from it and I think that was it you know it's often this hardship that can help build the athlete and 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 certainly build them as a person and you know not just in their career as an athlete but also in in them as an individual because you know he's he's toughened up from it he's he's learned a lot from putting himself in those uncomfortable situations really I think that's the most important thing and I think anyone who maybe sees Will passingly maybe doesn't see quite how much goes into becoming that good but it is very much like I need to put myself in the most uncomfortable situation consistently for a decade and mm. then you can become the best yeah no it's it's really really interesting and and also I mean he talks a lot about his family I mean you know his, his co competitive drive with his brother and you know that started it all off and you know I mean I, I can see that because I was the same with my sister in swimming but um you know actually his family all played a part and and you know I think any, any athlete knows that no man is an island you know we all have people around us our sport teams our coaches our staff but also, you know, the, the the family and the people closest to you. But, you know, it sounds like Will really has that tight-knit unit around him. Yeah, and, and everyone had their, their little kind of role to play and their influence on his career. His grand getting him the table, his brother there to kind of drive that competitive spirit on. And his, his parents obviously put just helping him and pushing him when he when he needs to be. His mum always commenting on his on his <laughs> shot types, which I love. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it, it seems like they that network has all kind of played a part. So any any kind of success of Will's is, is their success as well, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, can't not mention that uh, podium winning moment when he got he got his yellow card for standing on the table and jumping up and down. I mean, I certainly can totally uh, agree with that uh, lack of preparedness for, for that moment because I had something similar in Rio 2016 when I won and I was just so so much in shock that I couldn't actually react and I waffled on for about half an hour in a well, not half an hour, but I did certainly waffle on in my interviews afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I think anyone who wants to see pure shock, just type <laughs> Susie Rogers, Rio into Google. And that's another image like Will's, that's kind of like an iconic one for Paralympics yeah. GB from Rio, which was you winning gold and that pure shock moment. But similar to Will, there was there was no kind of plan behind how you would no. react to winning a medal. You're very much in the moment. No, absolutely. And what he says is so true because you know you you dare you dream about it. You want that to happen. Uh, you train for it. You plan for it. You sacrifice for it. But you know, actually being there and and having that moment is something that very few people can prepare for unless you're absolutely sure that you're going to win. But I don't think anybody is because anything can happen on the day. So it it really is something that you sort of 
dare to think about but don't really so that's why very often it's unplanned and raw emotion that you see coming from the individual and that's what you saw with will definitely yeah and, and hopefully we'll see see more of that in in tokyo 2020 exactly so um on that note good luck to will and thanks for everyone for tuning in join us next time for some more insight into the lives of the country's paralympic athletes thanks again for listening to the paralympics gb podcast Remember to subscribe and if you like the pod, please leave us a review. It really helps spread the word and lets others find us more easily.